Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your ways, more of your truth. You would help us to know and share more of your love in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nice reading, Nate. I feel like I got to show up with more energy after that, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this movie. This is this is decades ago. It's back in the '80s. There was a movie that starred Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, and uh, it also had Liam Neeson when he wasn't chasing anybody. It was the movie The Mission, and it was uh, this. If you don't know this movie, it's it's a movie about a bunch of Jesuits back in the 1700s that are trying to go out and um, minister to the natives there. And one of the characters in this, I'm, if you, I'm gonna spoil this thing because it's been 30 years. If you haven't seen it, you're good. Um, but one of the characters, the one played by Robert De Niro is this soldier mercenary kind of guy that goes out and kidnaps some of the natives and sells them and does all this kinds of stuff. And he comes back from one of these trips that he's been on like that and he discovers that his fiancee, we'll just say, is in love with his half-brother. And in his rage, they have a duel and he kills his half-brother. And then he realizes he's killed somebody that he loves. He gets into this depression spiral and all these things start to happen. And then he meets eventually the, the priest, prayed by Jeremy Irons, meets with him and they do confession. But he decides for his penance that he's going to take all of his armor all of his battle gear, his sword, and everything else, and put it into this big bundle that he car- that he's going to pull. And he goes off into the jungle with the Jesuits to find the natives. And it comes, that part of the whole story is he just, he's going through the mud, he's going through the jungle, carrying this thing for days and days and weeks, and it goes on and on. And uh, finally, there's this tense moment where they meet with the natives, and some of the, some of the kids recognize him as one of the ones who had been doing the kidnapping. And so they get the elders and they run up to him and you think he, maybe he's going to die because they, they have a knife on his throat. And there's a little bit of discussion and then the, uh, they end up cutting off this thing and throwing it into down the falls below and it's gone. And Robert De Niro's character just starts to cry and has this amazing release of joy and tears and all these kinds of stuff. And it, every time I see it, it makes my eyes sweat. Um, <laughs> It's a powerful, powerful scene. And that's what I want to talk about today is, is something in that direction. We're going to talk about the a discipline of confession, which is something maybe Episcopalians don't always talk a lot about, but I want to, that's where we're going to go today. And we're doing this as part of the sermon series where we've been looking at a number of different practices to get Lent started um, this season. We talked about prayer and we've talked about study and we've talked about um, silence and solitude. And today we're going to talk about confession as we wind up um, this sermon series. And where I'd like to go with this today is I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about maybe what the need is that's going on behind this, talk about what it is, and then how we do it. That's where I'd like to go with this today. And I think it's interesting when you start talking about the need. Um, there was a study done about four or five years ago, some survey work, where the people who did this study came back and said, that the average American has 13 major secrets that they hold on to, that they carry with them, five of which they've never told a single soul. That's the kind of stuff that we're carrying. And I thought it was interesting to see some of the ramifications of that because the, the authors of this sto- story or this study went on to say that they would um, test the people who were mindful of, their, of these secrets and how it would affect them. And one of the things they did was they would have them estimate how steep this hill was 
And the people who were, who were mindful of their secrets would always say it was steeper than it was. Like, is it, like they're carrying something on their, on their back, like this guy. And we think about what that is. So, I mean, today we're talking about the sins that we carry. I suppose there are other secrets that people might just hold on to. But we're going to talk about the things that we carry that alienate us in some form or fashion from, from God, from, our, um, from other humans, or from our true selves. Like the things that, that get in the way of all of that. And the thing about it is both, um, there are two really diverse sources that will tell you that holding on to dark secrets is something that will uh, sort of eat us alive. Both ancient monastics would say this in parts of the church, and then flash forward to psychologists today would say the exact same thing. Holding on to these deep, dark secrets will eat us alive. And I want to give you just a couple um, thoughts on that. The first one of these comes from the 5th century from John Cassian, who said this about it. He said, as soon as a wicked thought has been revealed to God and at least one other Christian, it loses its power. The demonic stronghold of sin is drawn out, as it were, into the light from its dark and deep cave by the power of the confession. For Satan's harmful counsels hold sway in us as they lie concealed in our heart. So we get, he's talking way back in the fifth century about what it is to hold on to these things. And you can flash forward. I won't do a whole bunch on the psychology stuff, but this is just picking up just a textbook that's out there right now talking about coping with stress. But it says this, the people who tend to keep secrets have more physical mental, com mental complaints on average than people who do not, including greater anxiety, depression, bodily symptoms, um, and the like. So you have both of these two different sources that are saying that it's... Uh, holding on to this stuff is bad. This I want to read one more part of this textbook. It finishes by saying, the initial embarrassment of confessing is frequently outweighed by the relief that comes with the verbalization of the darker secretive aspects of the self. And not, not to sit and belabor the psychology stuff, I have to just consult for two seconds the guru of our, our day on shame, all the, big, all the fans I get of Brene Brown, but she, she says you need three things for shame to go nuclear in your life. You need um, secrecy, silence, and judgment. Confession goes right into taking care of all of those, all three of those, as we deal with that. And the thing about it is, on the other side of it, like Robert De Niro's character that, that just has these tears and this joy, there's such an incredible um, release that comes from it. I think you see that in our gospel lesson today when the prodigal son returns and he knows the wrong he's done. We, we're not going to go into that gospel a whole bunch today, but he's down on his knees saying, Father, I know I've sinned against you and heaven and all these things. And then he gets the joy of still getting the love of the Father and the welcome and being brought to his status and all of this. And that's also what is there for us on the other side of confession, that we're mindful of this. So that's a little bit maybe about the why. We don't want to carry these big burdens of sin that just weigh us down and will cripple us in so many different ways in our spiritual journeys and our, and our desire to grow. So pivoting from there, then to ask the question, what do we do with that? I want to turn and just talk about for a second, what, what are we talking about with confession? And if you go look at it in the church, there are three different ways that, or actually there's more than three, but there are three big ways that confession gets used. The first one is just um, confession of faith and this idea that um, as we confess 
the faith we believe in, as we take on the baptismal covenant, as we confess these things, we receive forgiveness of sins through all that stuff. We know, we know that piece. And then you're looking at how does that fit with, with this other stuff we're talking about? I used to work with an Anglican bishop, Sandy Miller, who, would, who used to describe it this way. He would say that first part of it, this general confession of faith kind of a thing that brings ultimate forgiveness of sins, is a once and for all um, bath that cleanses you. And he says these other kind of confessions we're talking about are where you need to wash your feet from walking around in the world. That's kind of how he would just sort of say it loosely. I don't think he's trying to write a theological treatise on that, but the idea that our sins are forgiven in the ultimate sense, but we walk through this world, we pick up stuff, we carry stuff, our feet get dirty. That's kind of what he would say about it. So that's kind of one is one aspect of it. The other kind of um, confession you'll hear us talk about, the one we're going to do in just a little bit, is a corporate confession. So this is where you've done some things all week or whatever's happened, where we're bringing those, we as a community are coming together and acknowledging that we're sinful people, we've sinned, and we're going to say this corporate prayer saying that, we're, that we've sinned by what we've done, what we've left undone, all those kinds of things. And then we get to hear the words of absolution of just reaffirming to us that we're forgiven in that. The third one is the sacrament of reconciliation or what people will call penance sometimes or what people will call confession. I'm mainly talking about these last two and really may, mainly that, that third one that we're talking about. And when we start looking at that one, I don't know how much you guys have looked around at the back of your prayer books, but you'll get that uh, catechism at the back that will talk about what it is. And this is how it talks about this sacrament. It says, what is reconciliation of a penitent? The answer in the prayer book, reconciliation of a penitent or penance is the right in which those who repent of their sins may confess them to God in the presence of a priest and receive the assurance of pardon and the grace of absolution. And one of the questions we get when we hear that, because like, it's, it's, people don't do it a lot in our tradition, but it's always there as a gift. But people will say, is it needed? Well, the answer to that is no, you don't, you don't have to do this. And I like the way certain parts of the prayer book make that clear. If you're ever attending a right one service in the prayer book, when it comes time for the absolu absolution, the priest will say the words to me that are such a reminder of this. The priest will say, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has great mercy, hath promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him. Doesn't have anything to do with anything else. Uh, repentance and true faith, that's it. And you're forgiven. So we know that just happens and we don't have to do that. It's not a requirement that we do it. And the Anglican saying that some of y'all will have heard is that uh, nobody has to, um, everybody can, and some should. That's what the, the Anglican saying is about confession. But it's this gift. It's this gift, particularly if you have something that is like that symbolic bundle that you're carrying. There's something amazingly powerful and a gift of going and saying that to somebody else and then hearing, getting to hear audibly um, a pronunciation of forgiveness on behalf of the church. The other, as you think about that for a second, okay, the other thing that comes up along with that is people will say, Okay, I've, I've read the Bible through. Like, I, where is that in the Bible? Like, like talk to me about Well, there is, there is scriptural warrant for this, right, in a, in a number of ways. First of all, in James 5, there's this part where um, the, he's talking about if anybody's sick, call the elders, call the priests to them for anointing. And that same part goes right on to say, um, 
about confessing your sins to one another. And people have thought, okay, well, he's already talking about the, about the calling the presbyteros. Now he's also saying confess to one another. He's talking about confessing to them. And then people say, okay, well, I get that. What about this pronunciation of forgiveness? Well, if you remember in John 20, when Jesus appears on the other side of the resurrection to his apostles and he tells them peace and all this, he tells them, he breathes on them and he says, whatever sins you retain are retained and whatever sins you forgive are forgiven. And that the, the thought in the church through the ages has been he was giving that power to the apostles and to um, basically the, the clergy at that moment to, to provide that gift, to let people have an audible voice of being able to hear that about, about how that forgiveness goes. So that's where the, the sort of the two main biblical things that I would point to when people ask about that thing. I suspect, I'm not going to survey y'all, but I suspect most people have not done this before. So for the final little bit of, the, of today's um, sermon on this, I want to just do nuts and bolts for a second about how this works. How, if you ever get to this place where you feel like, I, you know, I, I did this thing 20 years ago and I'm still carrying this thing. And it, you know, I know I'm forgiven, but it, but it just keeps hanging with me. I need to say it out loud to somebody and I need to hear these words come back. What do we do? How does this work? Well, we don't have set hours or little booths or anything like that, but you just call up any of the priests and say, I'd like to do the sacrament of reconciliation. Can I make an appointment with you? And they will either meet you in the chapel or they'll meet you possibly in their office. And then you will get out the prayer book. And the prayer book has got like, like a one page, um, page and a half service in it that's a reconciliation of a penitent. And it's gonna start when you're gonna get down to just one paragraph like we do in the, in the general confession. And you're gonna say all these things, but then you're gonna get down to this blank that's there that says, especially, and it's a blank, and you fill it in. And you've done some preparation for what's gonna go in that. And you think about all those things that are weighing you down and holding you back and that are, you know, you just, and there's something so incredible about doing that. And then when you're done with that, you've said that rest of that prayer, you finish in that blank, you finish that prayer. Usually the priest is gonna sit down for a minute and just talk for a second about whatever's going on with that. Um, and, you know, as part of that preparation, I will pause here for one second to say one more thing. Um, it's really good if you not only prepare and write stuff out, but if you, but go all in. Because partial um, confessions are not that great. In fact, um, <laughs> I had to laugh that, not laugh, I had, I was amazed to see a study that was done just six, about six years ago in the U.S. and Israel. They, they were doing survey work with 4,000 people. And, um, the title of the article where they reported their findings on this was called, I Only Cheated a Little. <laughs> and um, the main lead author, this Dr. Eyal Pierre, said this about, he said, confessing to only part of the guilt of one's transgression is attractive to a lot of people because they expect the confession to be more believable and guilt relieving than not confessing. But our findings show the exact opposite. People seeking redemption by partially admitting their big lies feel guiltier because they do not take complete responsibility for their behaviors. So go all in, like whatever it is. And the priest has heard it before probably anyway, trust me. So just, it, and it stays there. Part of what we do as clergy is before you come in, we pray to hear it and to really sort of, in some sense, forget it, leave it there for us as well. But it's so freeing to be able to get to that place. So after that, then the, the priest will say the words of absolution, which is just reminding you of God's grace from the cross as you repent and you come in faith that you're forgiven and you hear it audibly 
and you get to that place of, of knowing. And it is, I mean, I've done it. Of course, I do it as well. And it is so freeing um, to go through that process. And I know it's difficult. I know that's why more people don't do it. But it is, it's a gift. It's just a gift. You get this grace. You get these words. You, you get this forgiveness. And lest you worry about how big you think uh, whatever it is you might bring to it, I thought I would end with a true story um, of a clergy person who heard a confession, which is hard for me to imagine, but, um, but it points to the power of this, I think. This was a, um, a clergy person named Roger Thompson tells this story, a true story of somebody in his parish whose name is John. I'm assuming John gave approval before he, he wrote this article about this. Um, but John, he, he talks about this pastor, Roger, says um, at the end of a service, he walks up to him and he said this, I'd like to talk with you uh, and make a confession. I think that what I have to say might ruin your day. So I said to him, well, I'm finished preaching. Go ahead and ruin my day. So they went off to, to do the confession. He said, and the, um, the man continues, he said, I need to confess something to you. And I intend to confess this to the authorities as well. I committed a very serious crime over 20 years ago. I've never been apprehended, but I feel I need to bring peace in my life. I know I will never advance in my spiritual walk unless I come forward with this. I have no clue what he's thinking this is going to be at this point, but um, John goes on to tell the guy that 20 years ago he committed murder, 20 years before this, and he's carried it for 20 years. So after their confession, he, they met again the following week, um, to go into all the details of this. And um, after this, John says, you don't know how many times I've laid awake at night, wished that I could go back to that night when I was 14 years old, drunk and high on marijuana, but I cannot go back and undo what I've done. He talked about how, he, how God's grace eventually found him where he is and brought him to this place where he had to make this confession. He could never let it go. It was always on him, and he knew he would never grow that way because of this horrible secret he had. The, con- the clergy person continues. So John um, came and did confession, and he goes on to say, John did what seemed unusual. God gave him courage to walk back towards the consequences, a trail he'd left behind that seems to be the picture of the transformed life. Our sorrow over sin drives us to grace. Grace brings healing and strength. Strength gives courage to walk back towards restoration. In the process, John had been asked repeatedly, why are you doing this? You got away with it. You'll never be convicted. Get on with your life. Yet it was impossible to go on without obedience to God who had saved him. After the absolution, I affirmed his decision. and We immediately sought legal counsel. We went to, um, he got his lawyer lined up and he went and turned himself in. Um, he, he, this guy writing this article finishes by saying, John surrendered to the authorities He eventually went on the witness stand and said, I am more free now than at any time in the last 20 years, though I'm incarcerated. He left it there. He got that grace. It is such a gift. So whether you do just confession here, as you think about in a few minutes, we do the corporate confession, or whether you're still carrying something that still to this day keeps haunting you and you're carrying it, consider before Lent is over making an appointment with somebody, one of the clergy, and leaving it behind, leaving it in that place. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. And like the Father in the gospel we read today, you welcome us 
with open arms, even as we come to you and say we've sinned against you and against heaven. You embrace us as your child. You forgive us. Lord, help us to be open to receive that gift and that grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.